fair to say Everton have been on a roller coaster ride in the past few months. The Toffees managed to avoid relegation with a final day win last season. They started this campaign pretty strongly, only to then be deducted 10 points for breaching financial sustainability rules. They seem to react quite well to that hammer blow initially, using that perceived sense of injustice as fuel. Well, that fuel seems to have run out, with Sean Dyche's side claiming just two points from their last five games and crashing out of the FA Cup. Things might not get easier against a dangerous Tottenham side this weekend. I'm Kevin Hatchard and this is Football Only Better. No roller coasters when it comes to our top tipping team. Just solid selections all the way, starting with Mark O'Hare. Mark Everton currently in the drop zone. They've scored just two goals across those five league matches. They do seem to have really gone on a bit of a downward curve recently. Yeah, they're in big, big trouble. Big, big trouble, really. Um, and I feel a, a large degree of sympathy with Everton, not because of the, the charges and the points deduction, but largely down to the fact that the majority of their performances this season have been quite positive, really. Um, take the 10-point deduction away. They'd be sat quite comfortably in mid-table. And what I found absolutely fascinating this season, when, or this week, when doing sort of some digging on Everton, I was amazed to learn that Everton have actually won the expected goals battle in 15 of their 22 league games. Um, That's extraordinary. That is a a figure which is up there alongside or just behind the top three, the big three at the top end of the table, which is crazy, really, when you consider it. And um, look, results haven't always matched up and there's possibly a few reasons for that. I don't think in forward areas they've been anywhere near as proficient as those underlying metrics suggest they they could or or possibly should have been that's obviously held them back quite a lot because defensively I don't think they've done they've done a huge amount wrong um again another stat to to kind of blow my socks off really but no side in the Premier League has kept more clean sheets than Everton um you know and they're up there with eight clean sheets alongside Arsenal and Liverpool uh and their XG against if you exclude penalties is, is fourth best in the division so you know defensively and sort of in the middle area of the field they're doing a lot right in the final third they're doing a lot right but they're just not obviously finishing their opportunities often enough to be kind of dragging themselves away from trouble and yeah despite all of that I am concerned for all the reasons you have just outlined I think when those charges dropped initially there was that bounce that feeling of injustice which as you say fueled the kind of response but um Obviously, there was a second wave of charges coming across more recently, and perhaps that's blown them off track a little bit. But um, yeah, on the field, they're winless since mid-December in the Premier League, just two goals in five games, as you suggested there too. The schedule hasn't been that uh, easy. They've had Spurs and Man City in those matches. And I think the reverse game against Tottenham, they obviously play Spurs this weekend, but the reverse game against Tottenham probably encapsulates their campaign based on all the above evidence I've talked about in terms of underlying metrics because they lost that game 2-1 at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, but they played really, really well. And I know a lot of Spurs fans talked them up massively after that game and said they they should they deserved at least a point, if not more, from that game. They ended up being beaten. Um, now they're back at Goodison where they're 
record hasn't been great this year. Three wins in 11, six defeats. And their record when they've been stepping up in class has been pretty poor too. They've got a great record against the, the lesser lights, but they've lost nine of 15 matches against the top 12. Um, and obviously, if you're not finishing your opportunities consistently, that's going to be a problem when you meet these bigger teams. So they have been found wanting when the class has stepped up and... Um, I do think they can be quite lively to underdogs in this particular fixture, but I'm going to have to be pro Spurs if I'm going to have a position in this fixture. They're, they're 1.83 off a, a for zero ball start on the Asian handicap, which feels more than fair, really. Um, Spurs are unbeaten against the bottom 12. They've also won five and drawn once in their six games away at bottom nine teams. They've also scored at least twice in nine of 11 away days across all across all standard of opposition. So that's the kind of firepower that Everton just can't match, really. So even without Son, I think his Spurs score here, it's quite difficult to see them losing the game. So hence my selection on Spurs, draw no bet here. I do think it's a tricky betting heat. I'm intrigued to see how it plays out. But um, I want to be positive about Everton, but ultimately they're in a, a bit of an issue, a bit of a problem right now. And I think Tottenham are just the kind of team that could, uh, could make them pay even further. But um, yeah, so... Everton, but obviously not backing them this weekend. <laughs> yeah, the irony is they finally got Dominic Calvert-Lewin fit in a fair few games and it's not been the Dominic Calvert-Lewin that we know because normally when he is fit, uh, he tends to score a lot more goals than he has been this season. Trader, tipster and gentleman adventurer Emmett O'Keefe in the building once again. Uh, Emmett Spurs delightfully chaotic in that 3-2 win over Brentford in midweek. The second Brentford goal is utterly hilarious. I don't know what is going on there. I've been on Timo Werner watch since he got to North London. Of course I have. Um, he is starting to make a real impact there. Yeah, I, 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 it's, it's, I think it's quite interesting that we've seen, I think, not surprisingly, maybe Daniel Levy is one of the only kind of football chairman who has enough, enough kind of pounds in his piggy bank to spend in January. Like, cause we've actually seen, It's. I think it's quite interesting that we've seen the reduction in transfer activity in the Premier League has been so stark since we saw the hundreds of millions splurge last January with all these yeah. teams in the relegation fight and trying to ex- extricate themselves from that compared to the kind of level of transfer activity we've seen we've seen in this window where um, the kind of high profile moves on deadline day are the likes of Armando Broja and these kind of not exactly the kind of players that are going to send send the pulses racing or send people to watch Sky Sports News and but I think are they scared of PSR? Do you think is this oh, is this 100%, those yeah yeah hundred percent yeah. this I is a good read. thing right. Isn't this what we want? We want clubs to be a bit more sensible, want clubs to have to promote their youth. That's what we want, really, ultimately, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. I think as well, I think people on this show, maybe more than some of the cheerleaders on Premier League cheaters and other channels, I think want to see a bit more of a balance in European football as well. I don't think it's yes. brilliant that leagues and just and and, and just and, and, the, and the financial gap is is so disproportionate so i kind of um yeah so i, I, I think that would, that would generally be a good thing but spurs haven't been able to be, be able to bring in dragasan from genoa genoa's defensive depth and bring in be able to bring in Werner as a kind of an extra forward option i i, I think is really key and has really given them an injection that other other other, other clubs around their position won't have um yeah, just I think I'd, I'd echo, echo everything Mark said about Everton. I just just look at like Everton have scored fourteen less goals than their chances that their expected goals would suggest. Like wow, and the, the team in second is Chelsea with eight point five. So like Everton are lapping lapping the field in that unwanted unwanted. I mean that's remarkable, isn't it? I mean that that's 
Is that as big an underperformance as you can remember at this stage of a campaign? Definitely, like that. That would be a massive figure over over the season. Like generally, yeah. From what I've looked at, that kind of figure you would be you'd be top in that if you had that figure <laughs> at the end of the season, you'd be top. So I think Sean Dyche is due a bit of luck. Like as Mark said, like like if you're if you're looking at purely the numbers as an argument that Sean Dyche is manager of the year, like for for Everson to have that kind of <laughs> that kind of process to be. Like to be leading the league in clean sheets, to have like the fourth best expected goals against, like they're they're incredible numbers. So he's actually and he's doing, he's playing the he's he's playing a much more proactive style than he did at Burnley when they were relying on kind of sitting deep and being so good at kind of blocking shots in the box yeah. to outperform expected sure. goals. So he's kind of gone the opposite way. Whereas Burnley, they used to outperform their expected goals and kind of the. They, they could go off much bigger prices than you think based on the results and end up outperforming that. Whereas Everton's kind of the opposite where their process is really good, but the, the results aren't, aren't, aren't quite matching. Um, but yeah, I wouldn't have a strong feeling in this match, but like Mark said, I, I would just lean Tottenham. And I I think there's, there is potential for Tottenham to really push hard in the second half of the season. They've kind of stabilized and survived this period of AFCON Asian cup and the kind of Van de Ven, Absences and their net, yeah. kind of their form is really stabilised. Yes, I, 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 Senegal were obviously knocked out of the Afcon during the week, so Papsara being contention for this game. I think getting him in instead of Oliver Skip would definitely definitely an upgrade there. Like obviously Mali are still playing, so once I think once they get Basuma, Basuma and Son playing, and they have like a, a firing with Charleston. So I think and, with that, and unlike the kind of competitors in there. Unlike say Arsenal, Liverpool, and Man City, Spurs won't have any European commitments. So I do think there is there, like there is a chance that if the, once they get all their players back, that, that Tottenham could push maybe Arsenal, Arsenal could push for kind of maybe second or third, and and, and like and maybe and maybe maybe surprise some people in the second half of the season. So I am, I, I think Spurs, Spurs definitely a team to watch, and I would like I I would definitely lean them in, in the match betting match betting at the, at the prices. And Ben Sancourt's back as well, because I seem to remember Ben Sancourt stitched at least you up, Emmett, and I think maybe Mark as well. I think you were both really positive about them in the Champions League last season, and a lot of it was based on Ben Sancourt, and then the poor man got injured. Such is the way uh, with tipping long range. Uh, we know that injury time goals, by the way, can be a pain in the pocket if they ruin your bets, and now you've got 90-minute payout to rescue you. If the clock hits 90 minutes and you've got the right result as it stands, your bet wins when the match ticks into injury time. T's and C's in the description, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. Let's take it to Bramall Lane, Sheffield United up against Aston Villa on Saturday evening. Emmett, this is a really interesting one because Villa were well beaten by Newcastle. Sheffield United are bottom you sense that they've been a lot more competitive since Chris Wilder took charge. They certainly seem to be scoring more goals, but the defensive issues are still there. So, you know, I know the market suggests this would be relatively comfortable for Villa, but I'm not so sure. Definitely, yeah. I, I, I would be concerned if I was a Villa fan. I think they're they're giving off distress signals that this could be a team that that are kind of go, hit, go, 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 really goes on the slide and potentially f- 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 falls out of that, that those kind of top, top five spots with one of Newcastle, Chelsea, or even Whisper, Man United kind of maybe may making a push the second <laughs> half of the season. Really whisper that. Really whisper <laughs> that, yeah, yeah. Giving up, yeah, like I said, it was a, a set more on that. But the, yeah, I think Sheffield United have definitely shown more attacking punch, as you say, and they've become, against all odds, quite a kind of entertaining team to watch. All of their last... 
four matches in all competitions have had four more goals. Getting Brown Brown and Diaz from um, on loan has definitely given them more much needed kind of punch and attack. Yeah, bit of a coup that. Good player. No, it didn't work at Villarreal, but good player. Exactly. Yeah, he's, he needs to be shown a decent form for Chile. He was obviously really, really prolific for Blackburn. I just like compared to the level of players that they had up, they had up front. I think that that's he's, he's given given them a chance. Um, I think it's just as well, like looking at Villa, kind of, they were just they were just giving off distress signals for a while. Like we saw before Christmas, drawing at home to Sheffield United, scraping past a ten man Burnley, losing a two goal lead to the aforementioned Man United, and then being battered by Newcastle at home. They they just they they, they look a team potentially on, on the downgrade. And as you say, I, I'd be reluctant. I, 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 I'd, I'd be reluctant to take them and put them in your kind of Sunday accumulators at at short or Saturday accumulators at short prices. But the way I'd look in this game is is is, is definitely in the, in in the kind of over over goals markets. Like the, I think Villa's defence, as we've seen, is, is definitely a lot more vulnerable away from home. They've conceded; they're averaging kind of one goal a game conceded at home, whereas they're 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 kind of pushing towards 1.7 goals conceded away from home. Four, four of Aston Villa's last five matches away from home, we've seen both teams to score an over two and a half click. And that's the way I'd look here, given how high scoring Sheffield United's recent matches have been as well. I was, I think both teams were scoring over two and a half goals at around five to six in the bet builder. It looks more than fair to me. Yeah, I'm doing the uh, preview for betting.betfair.com of this game, and I'm thinking along similar lines, but I don't want to spoil um, the whole thing for you just yet. We just we just mentioned him, or you guys have just discussed him. I was um, quite surprised to see Betfair had chalked up um, Ben Brereton Diaz at six to five for a shot on target at the weekend, uh, considering he scored in both of his league starts now for the Blades. I thought that was a very juicy price for a forward-thinking player. Again, he's a decent price even just to have a shot at all, which uh, I was thinking of dropping uh, into the bet builder. But again, as I say, don't want to spoil it all. You can read it all on betting.betfair.com. What I liked as well, I felt really guilty because Emmett had a kind of fan's flicker of fire just in his hands there for Manchester United, suggesting they might break into that European race. And then I just... Blew it out in the blink of an eye. Uh, Let's head to the EFL, shall we, Mark? Uh, We've talked about Cheltenham a lot this season, and we're going to talk about them again. Yeah, well, I think George covered them very well last week. Um, They gave a a really good fight for him um, away at Derby. Did end up losing that game, but um, were given a lot of plaudits for their performance. And um, I think it's probably just worth touching over them very quickly over what an extraordinary campaign they've had because they made an unbelievably bad start to the season, uh, picked up just one point from the first nine games. Then they decided to bring in Daryl Clark, which was always a bit of a coup in terms of a, a coaching appointment. He arrived in late September, lost his first two games without scoring, which meant Cheltenham had failed to score in their first 11 league games this season, which is around about 16 and a half hours, um, excluding stoppage time, which set a new English Football League record. Yeah, I was going to say that can't have happened before, surely. No, no, I'm not sure. Uh, that's definitely to start a season. I'm assuming it's the same 11 games throughout a season. It's it's very rare. That kind of thing tends to occur. But um yeah, I mean, Clark was always a, a really, really good appointment and results since he was appointed would have Cheltenham in 14th. So that includes the two defeats in his first two games. But since then, he has won six, drawn four and lost four fixtures. There's still seven points from survival, but they've been in 
like improved immeasurably really um george talked about it how close they went to um beating bolton they turned over pompey at wadden road they gave derby an almighty game last weekend as well so they're they're sort of going toe to toe with the big boys in league one and i just can't believe it that evens draw no bet um at home to wickham wanderers on saturday it's just uh, it's doing them a disservice there. They're, they're not the same side as two, three months ago. Um, at Warden Road under Daryl Clark, they've returned four wins, three draws, and just one defeat in their last eight. And crucially, they've scored in 14 of the last 16 league games as well. So, you know, if they're scoring goals or getting on the score sheet, it's difficult for them to see them getting beaten because Wickham have gone the opposite way. They are sinking dramatically and quite drastically really um, since October's international break they've won once in 17 and they've scored just 16 goals now for the first time this season their head coach Matty Bloomfield acknowledged that they were in a, a relegation battle really um, he probably should have done that a little bit earlier considering their form they're only four points above the drop zone and they come into this game against Cheltenham with only three away wins all season none of which arrived uh, after October's international break when they've had their nosedive really so the surmise really Cheltenham have scored in 14 of 16 um, they've lost once in eight at home um, they've been putting it up with the, the big boys recently they're under um, obviously a, a bit of a seven point deficit to, to kind of make up so they're going to be proactive in this game too and they're playing a Wickham side with one win in 17 struggling for clean sheets and not scoring freely even so uh, evens on draw no bet or, or plus zero on the Asian handicap looks a really nice way in uh, let's take it to Germany. Bayern have closed to within two points of Bayer Leverkusen in the title race. We're getting very, very close to that big showdown between Bayer Leverkusen and Bayern Munich at the Bayer Arena. That's going to be next weekend. I'm sure uh, we'll cover that on the show. But this weekend, Emmett, Bayern have got Borussia Mönchengladbach, who went to Bayer Leverkusen last weekend, dug in for the entire game, somehow survived. It was something ridiculous like 28 shots to two or something like that uh, and just about managed to to dig it out. But can they do that again this weekend, really? The, the only thing is, I think the reason I, I potentially like them to maybe hope, pull off something similar is I think just I think this is a very good time to be playing Bayern. I don't think the market's fully factoring in how weakened they are by their injuries. Kingsley Coman's a long-term absentee. Joshua Kimmich, Joshua Kimmich won't be playing... Dead, dead. Pamacano is injured. Kim and Jay is at the Asian Cup, so they're they're now relying on kind of quite a slow defensive centre back pairing of, of Matthijs Delict and and Eric Dyer. I, I just I think it's that they're, they're kind of they're um they're playing quite kind of a young player Pavlovich in midfield, and he he has done he has done quite well, but still like yeah, the Pavl- Pavlovich and Gretzka just isn't at the kind of base of midfield. I don't think is top top level kind of what we've seen from from Bayern in years past and just with Coman absent I think that and uh, Serge Nabsrit and Nabry a long-term absentee they, they, they don't have Bayern just don't have quite that, that kind of attacking punch and kind of players coming off the bench to really in, influence the game so I, I think I think this this is and they, we've seen Bayern just since since that winter break they just haven't they, they, ha- they haven't looked that fluent, losing at home to Werder Bremen, scraping past Union Berlin. They lost the shot, shot count away at Oxburg last week. Admittedly, they gave Yeah, away. if that game had carried on, I don't think they win it. If it had gone on 10 more minutes, I don't think they win the game. Yeah, so I just I don't think this is the Bayern of even pre, pre-Christmas or seasons past where you expect them to blow away kind of middling opposition like Munch and Gladbach. I think this, did, did, I could see this game being quite closer, maybe a bit closer. Gladbach also have beaten Stuttgart who are an excellent side since since the winter break. While they were fortunate to draw at Leverkusen, I think they can, 
I think the, 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 if the, like there's an argument that the kind of Leverkusen team they played last week are potentially better than this than, than this Bayern team. I think Gladbach can at least avoid a hammering here. And like I just even even look at the big handicaps, like Gladbach plus two point five in the Asian handicap is one eighty seven. The exchange, I think that look, that that looks fair. I think so. If if, if Gladbach lose by two goals, you still still win your bet. I think just the way Bayern are playing, a kind of a, an unconvincing Bayern win to me seems seems most likely. And happy happy to happy to take to, to take Gladbach in those kind of big handicaps. Well, if Gladbach score as well then, you know, you're asking Bayern to get four. And, and as you say, I, I look at that, you know, I look at some of the quality. I'd be interested to see who Gladbach play, but they do have some players who can run in behind and cause a bit of a problem. So, you know, I do think they will score in this game. So I think that's a great bet. Because Kev, on, on Bayern, what's the mood in Germany? Because it's it's very un-Bayern to be going into the January transfer market and signing Eric Dyer and Brian Zaragoza. They don't yeah. really seem like Bayern-type players. Well, the, Z- the Zaragoza thing, I think, is exciting in a way. But I think what, what shows you that they're on the back foot is the fact that that was supposed to be a deal for the summer. He had said that he wanted to stay with Granada and help them fight relegation. And I don't know if that's been completed yet, but I know Bayern were very, very close at time of recording to actually making that a January move instead, because I think Granada brought in Palistri from Manchester United as potentially a a replacement. So I, I think it all comes from the summer. I think because they spent all of their energy and effort getting Harry Kane, which is a great move, fine. But they took their eye off the ball defensively because they let Pavar go. They let um, Stanisic go to Leverkusen. They didn't have replacements there. So they were thin at centre-back, thin at right-back. They left it way, way too late to get Joao Palhinha from Fulham. That was always going to be a tough deal to do anyway, but they left it way too late. And even though he was in Munich on deadline day, they couldn't get it done. And now they seem to be bulking at the kind of money that it would take to get him in this window. So, yeah, I, I think they've been really unlucky with injuries, but it's kind of their fault as well because they've left themselves really, really light in certain areas. And the other thing, going off topic slightly, but the other thing as well is that Bayern don't have enough kids coming through. Pavlovich has come through. There's been a lot of talk about Palvana, who got into the team at 16, but they're not producing enough of their own quality young players. And until that happens, it's starting to happen now. But until that happens, you're always going to have that potential to be a bit thin in terms of your squad. Um, Let's take it back to the EFL, Mark. We've got Tranmere against Crew. Yeah, um, I think this could be quite exciting, quite entertaining, really. Um, we've got Tramia who are enjoying a, a real revival uh, under Nigel Atkins, uh, Mr. Positive. Um, he came Is he in still in doing late... his videos where he goes for a walk and has the cameras? Yeah, Is he I, still doing that? I don't think so. I think that was uh, largely a lockdown thing and That's he kind of carried it on for a while. Um, <laughs> I enjoyed them for, for a good while and then I realised yeah. they're all the same. But um, uh, yeah. <laughs> The Tramier are now only three points off the top half, which is which is incredible, really, considering they had such a bad start to the campaign. But he has really turned the tides. They've won eight of the last 13. They've scored in 11 of those. They've scored at least twice in nine of those. They're very much a front foot team under Adkins um, because defensively they've managed only four clean sheets all season. So you can kind of see straight away 
probably my, my thinking here is to back over two and a half goals, which is 1.8. I think that's a very, very attractive price for two forward thinking teams, um, especially if you look at Tramia's home record at Prenton Park. They've scored in 13 of 14, but managed only three clean sheets. So 10 of 14 have seen BTTS, 12 of 14 have gone over two and a half goals. And they're playing a crew side who never normally need an invitation to get forward and score goals and engage in, in what could be an entertaining game. Crew have scored in 26 of 29, but despite sitting in the top six they have only kept six clean sheets um, 10 of their 14 away days have seen both sides both sides score half of those away days have featured at least four goals let alone three so um, yeah just keeping it pretty simple here two forward thinking teams two goal heavy sides uh, meeting together both keen for the points quite happy to sort of back a high scoring game at 1.8 Big shock. Uh, well, maybe not a big shock, actually, a few days ago when Xavi announced that he was going at the end of the season from Barcelona. A shock in some ways with the timing of it. But I think if you looked at how he looks like the most tired man in the universe and the fact that Barcelona haven't played well for months, uh, maybe you put the puzzle together and it's actually quite a clear picture. Uh, they're away at Alaves uh, this weekend, Demet. First on Barcelona... It's all a bit of a mess, isn't it, really? Financially, there's only so many levers you can pull. You start pulling them. They're broken. Oh, no, that one snapped as well. There's no more that we can actually pull. And you look at the squads. Did they get enough bang for their buck? I'm not sure they did. No, like it was one of these things where this isn't being wise after the event. I think everyone who follows football, when they saw that, the amount of money Barcelona paid for that Robert Lewandowski signing, we just thought this was absolutely crazy. Like you've, like, you've nearly gone bust by over leveraging yourselves on, on on kind of late early early late 30s players like Luis Suarez, Messi, Rakitic, all the like Barca Barca the really aging team that kind of that, that had flamed out and then you you kind of managed to extricate your from yourself in this financial crisis by leveraging the future by giving away 25% of your media rights and levers of of that nature and then you instead of kind of investing it in maybe the academy or kind of younger players that might have resale value that'll that, that's kind of a long-term thing you're spending on a robert lewandowski who's like in his early 30s where you're it's just this short-term fix to get in at a galactico and inverted commas and like try to kind of i don't know it's it's, it's a very it's, it reminds me of kind of it's a very politics type move i guess which is not surprising given you have these models in spain where these club presidents who are these kind of dictator that's type exactly figures and who exactly just want it. these they want to win the press conference and being like look and look at my shiny toy robert lewandowski but look what they have now like he's a, he's massively in decline and barcelona barcelona are pay, paying him like he's a superstar so it's kind of i think like that they're in real trouble and like this next managerial appointment, wherever the, is is absolutely vital because, like Barcelona, are potentially going to be are going to be up against it financially and and from a talent point of view, given the players that young talent that Real Madrid have for a long period of time, I would say, so they're going to need a manager who can do more with less, who can punch above their weight, who can innovate, like kind of a these continuity candidates or kind of like guys who are kind of. A kind of a decent manager won't do. Barcelona need an elite manager, and but they're not going to get one. The problem is that they, 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 exactly that they, they, they probably don't have the, the money to get that. So I think it's they're in a really difficult position. Interestingly, the listener might be looking at the if you look at the Betfair kind of specials page. We have a next Barcelona manager market up on the website, and the favorite for that is Rafael Marquez. And you might be thinking, why is 
a guy who's managing Barcelona B, who hasn't even done that well at Barcelona B, the the favorite for the job. Well, the reason is there's a good chance Xavi won't make it to the end of the season. Like he's, yeah, he's saying, true. yeah, that's he's saying true. that he's saying, oh yeah, I'll leave at the end of the season. The reality is, if Barcelona keep playing like they've been playing, he will not make it to the end of the season. And Marquez is the kind of obvious internal candidate who they, who they can who they can promote to at least kind of in theory steady the ship for the rest of the season. Um. And yeah, on long, no, so unsurprisingly, given what I've said there, I'm looking looking to oppose oppose Barcelona. Like before, Barcelona they, they were a really unconvincing wing against against Osuna in midweek, where Osuna were down to ten men of the last half an hour. But like even before that game, Barcelona conceded eleven goals in their last three matches against Villarreal, Bilbao, and Betis. Like so, it's obviously really bad. And like they face mid-table opposition Alaves away from home here, who won their last three La Liga matches. I just think I think Barcelona are still being priced in reputation a bit here. Alaves, I think, are more than good enough to avoid defeat against 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 a Barcelona team playing this badly. So yeah, I think Barcelona are definitely worth a lay in the exchange at one ninety one. And if you're a sportsbook punter, I'd back Alaves winner draw double chance. Seems to remember Alaves scored in the first minute. I think of the the reverse fixture that Samu caused them all kinds of problems up front. Um, just on that Barcelona managerial market, Emmett. Um, I don't know if you have it there in front of you, um, but I was wondering, you mentioned uh, Rafa Marquez. I wonder about Garcia Pimienta at Las Palmas, actually, because he knows the youth system at Barca. He's worked there before. The only way I think they can come out of this with any credit and any kind of sense is to flog a couple of players in the summer, build it around Laminia Mal. Powell coming through, you know, young guys coming through, not burn them out, but at least, you know, have them as the as the heart of it. He plays great football. As you say, you need to make the most out of what you've got. He's shown at Las Palmas. He's perfectly capable of doing that. And I just wonder, I don't think they're going to be able to attract a Mikel Arteta because he's got the cash he's got at Arsenal, the squad he's got at Arsenal, Premier League. I know he's got that Barcelona emotional connection, but what's he going to go there for, for now? So, you know, you look at somebody like Pimienta, that might be the way they have to go. Definitely, like that story about Arte- linking Arteta to Arsenal just reeked of like Catalan tab- tabloid <laughs> nonsense trying to kind of yeah. excite the fan base. But it's it's based on a fantasy land and it's based on a reality from from a decade ago when we're Barcelona one of the leading clubs and could kind of um, could pay higher wages in the Premier League, pay higher, pay higher wages and have bigger transfer budgets in the Premier League, and that's a, just simply simply not the reality now. Yeah, as you said there, um, Garcia Pimienta is, is twelve to one, so he is kind of relatively high up in the betting. In terms of in the summer, if they can, if Xavi does stay, I think like him and Michel from Girona, I think are two to the two kind of best, pretty most realistic yeah. candidates in the Liga that have shown they can. As I said, there do, do 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 more with less, and, and potentially could kind of get Barcelona to kind of outperform their resources and bring through bring through young players, and then kind of have a more sustain more kind of su- 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 build a kind of more sustainable model, really. Yeah, Michelle, of course, has done brilliantly with Girona and they're just down the road from Barcelona and I think that's a job he probably deserves a swing at. Uh, just before we move on, Mark, what have you made of Xavi's announcement and just Barcelona in general? It, it, it's kind of... It, it's not a quick decline, actually, is it? They won La Liga, which I thought was a good achievement considering last season, considering the pressure he was under. They've made progress in the Champions League this season. They've got every chance, I think, of at least going toe-to-toe with Napoli because Napoli aren't the team they were. But what do you make of them at the moment? 
Yeah, um, basically echo everything that Emmett's talked about. I think earlier in the season, probably mid-September, I was really excited about this, the prospect of, of the squad that they'd built. I think individually, there's a lot of very, very talented players and they're hugely underachieving. But bringing it all together um, consistently has been a real issue. They've not excited, they've not entertained for, for quite some time. Defensively, they've looked very, very fragile. Uh, yeah, they are Stegen's boring, aren't they? Which is not... Really boring. You, you think yeah. of Xavi the man the player and you look at Xavi the coach and you go ah this doesn't fit what's mm. this yeah yeah like me and Wednesday night Barcelona played Osasuna 6pm kickoff UK time you know five six seven eight years ago you would have always kind of you know blocked that time off to, to see Barcelona play because there was no other rival fixture going on it's an opportunity to see Barca play and yeah last night I put it on but I really wasn't paying, paying attention because it just wasn't very exciting and that's been the case for, for a long part of this season injuries haven't helped and I think it's interesting you mentioned a lot of the, the youngsters there who they should build a, a team around and you made the point of you know don't burn those players out but they're doing that at the minute yeah. um, it's a worry is Lamar played for about the fourth time in about 10 days the full 90 minutes on, on Wednesday which is utterly atrocious man management and uh, yeah you worry about the, the likes of Gavi and Pedro and, and, and Pedri and players like that who have been kind of been in the in the forefront of the spotlight now for a couple of seasons and they're just being drained by the whole soap opera around Barcelona at the minute so um yeah, I heard sort of inklings that Luis Enrique might be interested in the job because he's not entirely happy at, at PSG, but I, I think that'd be quite an expensive deal to be done. And I'm not sure I'd, I'd be that enthused by it, in all honesty. I'd be much more happy about the likes of Michel or, or, or a more sort of domestic-based coach coming into the hot seat. But again, I, I worry if they're not a big name, they might get spat out too early. Um, we yeah. saw Kike Setien get the role and Esto Valverde get the role. Both coaches have, have done a reasonable job in Spanish football in the past. Uh, probably did earn a shot at, at a big team, but neither of which kind of covered themselves in complete glory with the with the Catalan press. And, and if you don't, yes. if your face doesn't fit, uh, you're not going to last long. So um, yeah, it's a, it's a difficult situation really. And I, I sort of don't envy anyone who has to take on that role next season. My bug, my one big kind of bugbear about it is why does Xavi just walk away now? Um, you know, I just think you're, you're kind of, you're not helping the situation really. Um, you know, we've got, it's very, very different to Jurgen Klopp at Liverpool. Yeah. I think it's worth, no, worth saying too, that even last year, whilst the results suggested they were utterly dominant and fully deserving of the title, which they were, they probably weren't as good as those results suggested. Ter Stegen saved them an enormous amount of points. Um, and I think his unavailability has been a massive, massive problem. I would fully agree with that. And I said at the time, getting rid of Valverde was a mistake. And I still think it was because he ended up carrying the can for those collapses in the Champions League. But if you look at what he did domestically, it was very, very good. Now it's time for the world famous podcast Treble, a feature so popular that Netflix tried to buy it and turn it into a true crime documentary. Uh, how this works is each of us come up with a selection ahead of the weekend's action. And lovely traders like Emmett here wrap it up for for you in a boosted treble i will start i'm going to go for both teams to score in sheffield united against aston villa that's kind of similar uh, to what emmett mentioned earlier on i think that's about 1.73 i think that's a decent way for us to kick off mark what have you got for us uh, i'll continue the goals theme i'll back overs in tramia versus crew lovely stuff and emmett take us home yeah, last for all the reasons I've just given. Yeah, uh, Alaves winner draw double chance, pretty my strongest selection for, for the weekend. And now the moment you've all been waiting for, of course, it's the moment you all wait for every week. It is Marco Hare's Scott Watch. 
Oh, aye. Escort watch. Take it away, Mark. Yeah, we're going to back a, a BTTS double on Saturday. Um, oh! With the idea of backing two of the biggest underdogs in Scottish football, who are both at home, but have both shown a real kind of impressive knack of getting on the score sheet in, in recent months, despite their plight. Um, so Edinburgh City are rock bottom of League One. They're hosting Kelty Hearts. That's the first leg. And Clyde are rock bottom of League Two, and they're hosting Peterhead this weekend. So backing both games to feature BTTS comes in at just over six to four. Um, yeah, as I say, despite their plight, both teams have been relatively good in forward areas so Edinburgh have been through the miller basically in the last two months really they've had wholesale squad changes really basically fielding a brand new side but they've scored in 17 of 21 league games this season including 16 of the last 17 they've managed just one clean sheet all season uh, and 16 of those 21 matches have featured BTTS now they're hosting a Kelty side who aren't the greatest in terms of uh, the third tier. They've only kept two clean sheets themselves. So BTTS is a big runner there. Edinburgh, massive outsiders in that match, probably a bit unfairly. Uh, then they've got Clyde, who are a bottom of the SPFL, but battling very hard. They've scored in 13 of the last 15, including goals against almost all of the big boys in Scottish League 2. They scored at home to runaway leaders Stenhouse Muir not so long ago. They scored four away at Dumbarton recently. They scored at Spartans. They scored away at Peterhead. And at home to Peterhead also this season, obviously playing Peterhead again this weekend. Um, they scored in, um, oh, sorry, 15 of their 21 matches have seen BTTS and Peterhead have seen BTTS in 7-11 away. Clyde have only one clean sheet all season across all venues. Peterhead with just two on their travels. So BTTS in both matches comes in around 6-4. to four. So uh, I like the look of that. Um, I was going to do Cultural Corner, but I'm um, struggling for content. So um, I've changed tacks this week. We're going to have a very quick Scottish quiz. Oh, um, excellent. Um, yeah, we'll try and get back to the usual Culture Corner soon. But just uh, four questions really on Scottish football. So let's see how, fair, oh, how no. well you can fare. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, I mean, to be honest, it's a bad start because I was thinking... Have I heard of Edinburgh City? Is that a thing? And I've just <laughs> while you were talking, I just had to have a look. I've never heard of them in my life. They're a fa fairly new team. Uh, been right, in the, okay. the pyramid now for uh, five or six years. I they think. come but, up uh, from non-league recently or yeah. something, right? Yeah. Okay, that's yeah. why I've never heard of them. Okay, <laughs> right. You should get the first one, um, Emmett. You're involved too, so fastest finger first um, or fastest shout. Um, who was the last team? To beat Real Madrid in a major European final. Aberdeen. The Super Cup doesn't count. Well done. Do you know when? Oh, 80s? Yeah, 82-ish. Yeah. Very good, 83. Um, it was the Cup Winners' Cup final. Uh, Sir Alex Ferguson's team yes. featured Gordon Strachan and Alex McLeish. Next, when Celtic won the 1967 European Cup, they became the first British club to win the European Cup. But what was special and quite remarkable about the Celtic side that played that day? Yeah, it was all the, all the local players, wasn't it? They were all born mm. within like an hour of the training ground or something. The Lisbon Lions, were they not? Yes. Every player was born within 30-mile radius of Glasgow. Now, can you name the oldest club in Scottish football? Is it Queen's Park? Ooh. Very well done. 2-1 to Emmett. See, Scott Watch has been seeping into us for months. That's what it is. We're nailing these. We've got all three so far. Yeah, the last one's a bit a bit crap, but I'll, I'll go over it anyway. Um, what was curious about Scotland's exit from the 1974 World Cup? Oh, is this the one where um, 
the other two teams knew what result they needed to get and they just knocked the ball around. It was some outrageous draw. Was it like West Germany and Austria or something? The Anschluss or, the, or something was called, yeah. Yeah. The other teams yeah, just sure knocked it around. Or you might be right. Did they get eliminated without losing a game? Yes. That was ah, it. They were the first okay. nation to exit the World Cup without losing a match. So um, you might be right. I've actually done the... <laughs> I feel like the there added. was some there was some, maybe it wasn't them but there's something in history isn't there where yeah. there were two teams that knew exactly what they needed they needed a draw and like from an hour in they just went yeah we'll just play for a draw <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah it might have been them we're done wonderful enjoyed that very much three out of four I think that's not bad maybe four out of four depending on how you view it that's all we have time for sadly on this edition of football only better please do remember to gamble responsibly later this month we're going to see the return of our champions league preview shows so watch out for those all of our shows now on the betfair youtube channel for non-racing content they've been split now one for racing one for non-racing so make sure you like and subscribe loads more coming up in the sunday show including a preview of arsenal against Liverpool. From Emmett, from Mark and from me, it's goodbye for now.